Welcome to Leadership Reimagined. I'm Dr. Jane Lovis, your host. During each episode of Leadership Reimagined, we take a look at leadership from the vantage point of what it's going to take for leaders to lead their organizations forward into a new future. And in this episode, we're creating that new future. Today, I'd like to welcome Zachary Zach Lowe. Zach is a recently retired FBI senior executive who specialized in complex organizational realignments and workforce development assignments. Zach held many positions over his FBI career and military career, including directing instruction at the FBI Academy and was the senior executive over the FBI's undercover program. In addition to offering consulting services through his company, Greystone 360, he is a husband, a father of two adult children, has a dog, probably the father of that dog too, and is a volunteer with Fairfax County Schools. He earned his undergraduate degree at the United States Military Academy, West Point, and his master's at Northeastern University, Boston. Zach, welcome. Leadership Reimagined. I thank you. That was a great introduction. I appreciate it. Thank you. Don't we always sound so great when somebody else reads our introduction? <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. So, so Zach, um, one, you know, it, it never occurred to me to think that the FBI needs something other than agents. Yes. You know, it's a huge organization. Of course, it needs workforce development, leadership de- organizational. It needs all of those things also. No, it's, it's quite a large organization. It's uh, around 37,000 employees, give or take. And really, only about 13,000 are special agents. And when everyone watches television and movies, right. they think everyone's an FBI agent and they all are, are running around with jackets on with FBI on the back, which, are, which aren't worn that often either. Um, but it's because most of the uh, most of the work in the FBI is actually done prepping for those enforcement activities and uh, and doing a lot of prevention uh, as well as doing the uh, intervention uh, activities. And so really um, for the uh, for the workforce out there and, and when people normally call me to talk about the FBI, I try to illustrate the great opportunities that are there for intelligence analysts. Uh, we have computer network engineers, mechanics, uh, clerks. Uh, legal, uh, counsel, all kinds of positions that any major corporation would have, the FBI has. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm not surprised. And when I, when I was reading that, <clears throat> it was like, oh, a light bulb went off, you know? And I'm sure there are a lot of people that think that same thing. Oh, the FBI agents. <laughs> right, oh, yes. And it, and it, does, uh, it does create some, some challenges as well as being a strength. It's a strength because you have a lot of different um, people from different backgrounds with different talents, and they all work together, just like a company. So you don't have to outsource for those type of needs all the time. The FBI still hires some contractors and people every now and then. But having the employees within the organization with the appropriate security clearances makes a lot of those operations go a a lot seamlessly than, than they normally would. But it is a challenge because just like any other organization, you will have some cultural differences between the, the different positions. You have support employees, which are general, which are employees that fill a lot of those roles that don't have an enforcement activity, that aren't special agents and have that legal authority. 
Um, and so then you, you have to work on those things because you want the team to work together in all things. Everyone has their roles and you, you have to show all employees value from where they stand. And so it can't just because someone isn't out uh, carrying a weapon and doing that arrest doesn't make them any less important on that investigative team when you're preparing a case to go to trial or you're trying to prevent a terrorist attack in the U.S. Yeah. And and there, which is also very similar in other companies that there are companies that, you know, like technology companies, there's there's sort of a sense that the technologists, the software developers, the, the, those, they're the important people in the company and everyone no, else is there to support them. Well, yes and no. Like you're saying, we can't, we, a company, an organization can't do it all without everyone. I, I think a lot, I mean, sports metaphors work really well for this too. I and mean, we had, you had a team just win the Super Bowl. And I'm sure, you know, um, the Matt Stafford and the quarterback's getting a lot of, of glory with that, but they could not have done that if they didn't have a complete staff getting their plans together, preparing them, preparing their intelligence, getting their equipment ready for the game. So there's, I think one of the things that you learn after you've been doing this a while is that there's room for all, there's room for a lot of heroes. You don't mm -hmm. just have to have one and there's no, there's no shortage um, of giving credit and giving value to all the different partners that are a part of a big victory. And the best part about uh, working the FBI and in the military prior is that when you win, the whole country wins. Um, the mission is protect the American people. And the American people want to have a part in that too. And so it's not just the FBI that uh, employees that actually make it so valuable and so successful. It's the partnerships and it's the, uh, the trust from the community to give the, uh, the FBI employees and the FBI agents the ability, the intelligence, the support so that they can do their job. And that, that is something that I know you're very passionate about is ensuring that everyone feels valued within an organization. I think, and that's, and that is something that uh, it's a full-time job really for all of the leaders and something that the FBI really um, has spent a lot of time reinforcing through their leadership training. Uh, and the FBI has a lot of different types of leadership training uh, for the different positions, their certification trainings, but at the same time, there's frontline leader training, there's uh, executive leadership training. And uh, one of the uh, privileges that I had when I was uh, over instruction at the FBI Academy was working on a lot of that leadership training, but also putting together what was our basic field training course for our FBI agents and our intelligence analysts and making sure not only that we were uh, evaluating the suitability of those uh, people coming into the FBI, but also making sure that they met the performance standards and they were going to be uh, fantastic stewards of all that authority and responsibility for the American people. And uh, I think when you look at it from a, from a training perspective, there is a lot that goes into suitability when you come into an organization like that with a top secret clearance. And so we did have to spend a lot of time presenting that workforce training and that curriculum so that we could evaluate that at the same time we were evaluating the different performance standards. So not only how well you could shoot, but should you shoot? Um, not only could you run fast enough and, and capture someone and could you do a search warrant, but when what should you be looking for before you do that? What kind of techniques should you be exploring for prevention 
rather than just moving forward with uh, enforcement actions afterwards. And so a lot of that goes into that and then making sure we have the right people and then giving them the right tools and the mentorship so that they can build on those skills once they leave. Mm-hmm. And so then when somebody moves up into leadership, there's a whole new level of, because it's one thing to be a, an individual contributor or a team you know, you're, you know what your role is on a team. Then when you start to move up into leadership, that's, that's a whole different ball of wax for a lot of companies. Well, I would tell you that specifically in the FBI, we we don't have a, or when I was there, we didn't have a um, profit margin that we had to make every quarter. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we, our, our scorecard was, our trust uh, and credibility with the American people to, to do our jobs and to protect them and protect the, uh, and uphold the constitution. And when doing that, I would say from my perspective, the, pre- the prevalent leadership model that was used by FBI leaders was a servant leadership model where we are, where the leaders are, they're mentoring their subordinates, they're working, they're networking, not to get themselves uh, more friends or more credit, but so that they can open up more resources and capabilities for the teams that they were, they were in charge of and they were responsible for. And I think it was, and it's that type of where you have special agents and FBI employees that are so well qualified when they come in and they work very much autonomously and independent for the most part. Mm-hmm. And so you really want to be in the position where you're empowering them to go out and do those great things, to use those fantastic degrees they have and the intelligence they have and go out and do those things. And that'll come in. We'll come back to that with which with uh, why a diverse workforce and in recruiting different talents is very important for that. But so as a leader in the FBI, as you move up, what you realize, sometimes it's not as much fun because when you're an FBI supervisor on the ground and doing those activities and you have that jacket on with FBI on it, that can be exciting too. Right. But at the same point, you really have to divorce yourself from that and, and see yourself for what you are. You are really responsible for making sure that your teams have all the resources, they have all the information they need so that they can do their job and then make sure that they feel valued doing those jobs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, and kind of going back to why it's the recruitment piece for the FBI is so important. And when I was there, anecdotally, we would, you would uh, have uh, one out of every 10 applications would be accepted. And so we were very fortunate. We have a great number of patriotic Americans who want to come into the organization. And then the, the challenge at that point was, how do, you, how do you take these great qualified people and give them the right information and get them in a position where they can use all of those things? And so that's, that's your responsibility. And that's the burden of leaders in a place like the FBI where really we can focus on where do we want to focus? Where are the areas where there's the most risk? What are the threats that we need to handle? And how and where who do we put on that? And then how do we really let them go and empower them to go and take that to the, uh, to the logical conclusion where it's going to make all of us safer and make an immediate uh, change in the community? Yeah. So how do you transition that into corporate? Because I know now that you're retired, you're you're working in corporate. And well, I'm still working on that. <laughs> and that's and that's one of the things. It's it is it is a little different, but it's it's not completely different. No, and, no. And I and I would tell you that um, in having worked in national security and, and criminal investigations for a long time, you understand that what makes the United States so powerful and what fuels the American military and its national security apparatus 
is the success of our companies and the success of our businesses. And so it's, it's a great alliance. And those businesses where I'm now uh, talking to and, and I'm more in that corporate space, those are the same uh, businesses that we were partnering with in the FBI for technological advances, for advice, and we were protecting on a daily basis and we took great pride in doing that. So um, for me, uh, being an FBI leader and having done that for a really long time, um, over 22 years in the FBI, now coming out, it's, I have the advantage of that relationship and understanding how that works and then translating that back to how can we both support each other better? And how can, how can we do that in a fashion where um, I'm going to be able to help uh, companies and corporations realize that the, the security that they need or the, the type of realignments or changes that I was a part of when I was part of a really large matrix organization like the FBI. And I think another piece to that, and, and for your podcast, because we talk about leadership a lot, the, the, the cultural issues and making changes, even in the face when you have an organization, we, uh, I, I went through a huge change after 9-11, which everybody is very familiar with mm-hmm. in the FBI. And then there's still changes after that with technological threat changes, you know, how we train, what we need to train and how we recruit. All of those things are very difficult and you have to go back to the basics and how you lead, empowering those, messaging the importance of the change. We aren't changing for change's sake. We're changing for these really important reasons and making sure that you have the support from the top to make those really important changes messaging that, training the workforce on those changes, and then moving through with them and implementing them in the right way. And, and just about, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that just about everything that a leader deals with at some level is all about change. I, I, I think so. And I think that's what makes the difference. I think if you're for, to a point, you know, we don't change just for change sake. No, but they're not changing. But if you're not changing, what are you doing? And right. And, uh, and I think if, um, you know, whether you're, you're supporting your employees, you're, you're helping them find a way to their goals. Uh, and a lot of times that's, that's making the changes so that they can get to where they need to be. I'm certainly, if they can get there without you, I don't know what you're doing at that point, but it is, but uh, the FBI, just like anywhere else, I, it's just a great um, place where you can you can focus those resources where you need to be on something that's not profit driven. And so that, that was that's probably a, a really unique piece where you have an organization that's that large with all of these different pieces that resembles a large corporation, but it has very different goals at the end. And uh, you're able to, to make some changes uh, in that res- for that respect. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you were talking about the diverse work workforce um, be- because as, as the FBI, as any other organizations, needs things like innovation and um, strategy and a diverse workforce provides that. I, a- I think it absolutely does. And, and a lot of times uh, your, your organization isn't going to know what they're missing un- until they hear it. And then they'll exactly. realize or they experience it. Yeah. Right. And, and I think in law enforcement, and I'll, and I'll just kind of go back a little bit. My, my experience professionally has been in the U S army. I was an infantry officer and then I was in the FBI. Those are generally traditionally male dominated professions. And mm-hmm. um, there's been a significant change over my, over my lifetime, uh, certainly, but I, but I think it's absolutely been for the best. When I first started out, I was investigating violent crime and organized crime in Richmond, Virginia. 
And uh, my my partner on a daily basis was another, was another female special agent who uh, made tremendous um, difference in, in what we were doing. Uh, she brought a different perspective to what I was doing. I was new. She was actually mentoring me and showing me how to, to do a lot of the work. Um, but at the same time, you forget how much of an impact it makes on the community and the perceptions the community has about you. And also working with victims uh, and witnesses in a lot of our crimes. And the majority of our victims were women and children which is not a, not a surprise statistically. So having, having her on the team and us working together um, was, a great met, was a great match for us. And we were able to get a lot more trust and a lot more information. And I think we were ultimately more successful in the casework uh, because she and I were working together and we had that different perspective. Um, I, you know, after that, I, uh, when I was in a leadership role at the FBI Academy, um, it, was all, it was a different uh, way I was looking at it because I was looking at recruitment. And not just recruitment uh, for the new agents class or new intelligence analysis class, which is generally handled by our human resources branch. But I was looking at what do our what do our instructors look like and how are they presenting material? And so one of the one of the ways I would describe that to you is it's not enough for a leader to house; it's you have to host. And so when you're bringing in diversity into your organization, just bringing in diversity is isn't enough. If if the people that you're bringing in uh, women or, or other other people with different cultural backgrounds or different uh, technical backgrounds, it's not just enough to put them there. You actually have to set the table for them and you have to give them a chance to be successful and enable them to be successful. And then you'll see those fantastic rewards. Um, I've always had to be very careful about this when I talk about uh, in a training perspective, because it doesn't mean you change the standards. The performance standards don't change. What changes is the way that you bring them in, you host them, you introduce the material and you make people feel like they're part of the team. Nobody wants the performance standards to change, especially the person you're bringing in the recruit. They absolutely don't want them to change um, because that's what gives them the credibility. And, and that, that's ultimately why they're there. They want to mm-hmm. be a part of that team, not, not a lower, not, not a lesser team. They want to be a part of that team. Yeah. And so for me, um, finding uh, instructors, uh, having uh, women as firearms instructors, having women as tactical instructors, hugely important. Um, they were fantastic. They absolutely were great at their job, um, but bringing them in, they had just never thought of it before um, because they had just always seen that as a, there were always men there and that was just sort of how things had been. Mm-hmm. And so encouraging those kind of changes really made a difference. And it really made a difference on our new agents trainees. Um, I think that, uh, and I think from the, from the uh, back, from the um, surveys that we received, uh, there was absolutely they saw a difference there. And then some of those trainees, if they had a question that was specifically geared towards uh, the women, for example, would want to always talk to somebody about how they wore their tactical equipment and women's clothes are different than men's clothes. Mm-hmm. And so where they uh, had their weapons, where they had their equipment, it's different. And so having a woman in that particular role who was there available to answer all of those kind of questions that you don't think about normally just made a huge difference. And it made the organization seem so much more um, like accessible and that they wanted them to be part yeah, of the team. Right. And so welcoming. when you see those things, yeah, it's welcoming. And so when you see those things in action, it really changes your perspective on that. And you can see, wow, this, this really does make a difference. It's not just a little thing. And we didn't have to uh, compromise any of our standards and we didn't have to compromise anything to get there. Right, right. And I, I, I also, you know, I do want to bring out that sometimes there have been standards that somebody made up some time ago and they need to be reevaluated. Now, I totally get, you know, we'll go back to the football analogy. 
that your quarterback has to be a big bruiser. You know, I would not be a good quarterback. <laughs> well, I don't know. Tom, Brady, Tom Brady's not that big. So at I, five one, probably not. <laughs> I think that's a, I think that's a different, um, I think that has a lot to do with how you put together your curriculum and your standards. Exactly. And, and that's well said. You need to have a good job skills analysis done. It needs to be updated. Uh, there needs to be evidence behind the specific job skills uh, for a position. Yeah. I think that um, just anecdotally, um, sometimes the uh, you will see a difference in physical fitness standards uh, in different places. Um, but I think it's lost on some people when they don't realize that that has to do with the level of fitness. That doesn't have to do with the job skill. Right. So the job skill isn't running a certain amount of time and a certain distance. It's a level of fitness and that's different between women and men. And then, right. so that's, that's where that comes from. Yeah. But um, with the job skills, um, you know, there, there's lots of examples out there in, in uh, popular culture where you can, you can hear everything from, uh, you know, you used to always have to, I think the example that I heard latest was the, the fireman example where they yeah. used to have to carry bodies, but it was actually better to drag them anyway. And then <laughs> women could absolutely do that. So, I mean, I think that's, I, I, I think that's, a good point, and, and we all need to do better at that. Uh, I, I I feel like the FBI is doing a good job at that, um, but uh, that's certainly something you have you should watch uh, as an employer and and as an organization. Yeah, yeah. Just be aware of of what are what are arbitrary standards, and I know in a lot of technical fields there will be a standard for for software developers that they have to have a college degree. And that's nice, but there's some really good software developers out there, programmers that do not have a degree. No, no, absolutely. I, I think that's across the board and, and yeah. I think it's getting better. And, I, and I I've definitely seen that where it, it appears to me just, just looking at, um, at, at jobs and, and things like that that are out there in the corporate world now, there seems to be more of a focus on the actual experience and on certifications, which I think goes more towards uh, what the actual position is going to be rather than just the degrees from college yeah. degrees. Yeah. So, and, and I think that's sort of a trend across the board. And really hiring people that fit as opposed to people that look really good on paper. And I know that <laughs> that's, a, that's a challenge, you know, because... There take, there's a skill in, in hiring those people so that you, you, it's, it's easy to hire somebody based on a resume on a piece of paper and, and then to have, be able to have the conversation and really pick out who that person is. Are they really going to fit with this culture and this organization? So I, I do a lot of uh, talking with um, with new graduates, and, and that's a function of two things. Um, having been uh, being the FBI, I get a lot of LinkedIn requests to talk about the FBI, which I'm happy to do, and I, I encourage you know people to do that. Second reason is I have uh, adult children who are around that age, and so I, all their friends talk to me. And one of the things that I talk to them about with with going into a new job, it's you're joining a team, and so you just got to think about it just like on the playground where you're getting picked for teams and, and things like that. People want to have a team that's that's going to work where everybody can get along and, and they can work together. And uh, and so I think that's where you go with the fit, you know, part of that. And I think with the interviews. And so that's one of the things I tell them is it's, and it's not just about them talking to you. It's about you figuring out, am I going to be happy there? Mm -hmm. And the advice that I tell 
especially the uh, the uh, new uh, the new grads who interested in the FBI. Uh, first of all, I tell them the average age of new agents training is around 30 years old. And then the second thing I tell them is that if you want to be recruited by the FBI or anything, go out and be successful and be happy. Um, that's the first thing you should do. People are drawn to people that are happy and successful and know what they're doing, no matter what that is. And so you don't have to be in this one specific thing. There's not one specific topic that you have to do. If you're just really good at something, and if you pick something you're passionate about, you enjoy doing, you're going to be good at it. You're going to be better mm -hmm. at it than something else and focus on that. And then if something else doesn't work out, you're happy and you're successful. Um, but you're also going to, people are going to look at you as a leader. They're going to look at you as someone to be like, and people always want successful people on their teams. Right. That's what I, so that's really kind of what I, the main advice I give them as well as, you know, some other lifestyle advice. Yeah. That's, that's, you know, that's great advice for, for just about anybody at any stage, you know, what, what makes you happy? You know, this isn't about going to work and, and working for eight to 10 hours and being miserable. You know? No, I think it is, you know, they, they said, uh, somebody really smart said, if you do something you love, you won't work a day in your life. Right. Um, but I, I think that's absolutely. And so, and I think that uh, leadership, let's go back to that. I think that's a really important part of leaders have to do a little bit of that. And, mm -hmm. and I was able to do a little bit of that in the FBI because we have so many different um, jobs and positions and threats that the FBI deals with. If you had somebody on your team and they just weren't happy, I, um, in my, my last assignment, I was uh, at headquarters in the criminal investigative division. And, you know, I, you would have an employee who was, who was burned out. They're, they're tired of doing this particular function. You could find another place where they could move to. Yeah. And that was great. And then the new team was happy because they got this new motivated person. You just, you know, and, and they're happy. They've got this new experience. And that just seemed to be just great for anybody just to get them back in the game with a development opportunity, learning something new, just like all of us. Right. And, uh, and I, I don't think leaders do enough of that uh, generally. I, I didn't. I've gotten better at it. And I think that's really where you can make a difference on your team and your organization. People just really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. More, I, I call it helping them thrive someplace else. Yeah, I, I think that's a great way to, to talk about it is finding a way for everybody to thrive. And, um, and sometimes it's not just giving up, you know, you should always thank your, your employees, you should always thank your team, but doing something like that is, uh, is better than a little Christmas gift or something. Mm -hmm. You can give somebody that great experience, they meet new friends, they make new contacts, all those things just bring joy. And that's, so I think that's a great piece of leadership, part of leadership that people sometimes overlook that just because you've got this team here doesn't mean they all belong there. They should stay there forever. No. They might've been great there five years ago. Maybe they need something new now. Help them do that. Right. And, and you support them to thrive someplace else is only going to, is also going to benefit you because of what other people see. One, it makes you safer. Yes, it does. It does. And I think it, it also, it really does help you uh, in your career because as you amass all these different people you've worked with, you've helped, you've moved around you have a great talent pool. Yes. And, uh, and, and, and certainly in business and in the FBI or anywhere, a leader who can recruit and, and has a talent pool available is going to be very valuable wherever, mm -hmm. you, wherever you mm -hmm. go. And you can draw on the right people for the right jobs and the right missions very quickly. Absolutely. And so that's absolutely. So I, I don't think 
I think that's something we should definitely talk about. And uh, it certainly pays uh, in the future if you will do that and take care of your people. Yeah. Yeah. If somebody's not right, you know, like you say, they they've been there too long, they're burnt out or you 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 mishired somebody and they just don't fit the culture. Help them thrive someplace else. No, I, I think we're. I think too many people go right to. Uh, well, if they're not doing well, uh, you, know, you got to punish them, or there's something's wrong with them, and, and and that's not it at all. I mean, really, it's you need to develop people and look at why they're not doing well. And sometimes it could be because the leader's not doing a great job either, or you're not mm-hmm. communicating very well. And most of the most of the early problems I've seen when I've gone into organizations or I've, I've been a part of a change, um, the miscommunications are key, and that's wow. the first thing I tell all of. Uh, people I've worked with and mentored when you're when you're doing anything different like that over communicate that was always our term over communicate Um, people will fill gaps in communication with the worst possible thing you can think of and if you aren't there to dispel it it just gets more true every day and you have to get ahead of those things and sometimes we're we're hesitant to do that sometimes that's hard sometimes we're afraid of we might say something wrong Um, but it's you got to get a hold and get in front of those things. Leaders have assets and you know, available to talk to people to get the right story, how to say things. That's fine, but you have to do it. And those are important things. And, and uh, we have to get used to doing that because it, it, it ultimately helps us and it helps our, our employees. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you, you think of just the basic way people listen and how they gather information if all the information always comes one from one or two ways, emails, which is the prevalent way, um, so much gets missed because we're all inundated. I mean, how many times have you, like you, you were sure somebody sent you an email and you got to go back and find it and you can't find it, you know? Well, I, I think we're, we're also in, and COVID didn't help this. But uh, it's really hard to get tone out of an email. Yes. We do it all the time, but it, 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 that's not really a great way to do that. And so much of the, we forget so much of the communication is nonverbal and um, we, we're missing all of those things. And uh, sometimes we put, uh, we put communication into something that a five or six word text and we turn it into something terrible and, uh, and you have all this hesitance to communicate. So I, I, that is one piece where it, you just, you got to get over the convenience piece and you've got to do what you need to do and do what's right. Right. And, and talk to people, have, have meetings, have, and it's what I found. And, and my, my technique is that is um, to reduce anxiety, you should have regular meetings. You should have regular events that people are used to families. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of families will try to have dinner together every night. They'll try to have one time where they're all together, everybody knows, and you're going to see each other and talk about things. Um, the same thing is in, in business and in corporate. We spend a lot of time in business. We spend a lot of time with our employees who we work with and we lead and we work for. And so we owe it to at least have some regular meetings where we go over things and where everyone has the opportunity to speak. And they should have that environment where they feel safe to speak and um you know, there's, there's great leadership work. Uh, I had the opportunity to see uh, Professor Amy Edmonds speak um, a couple of years ago, and um, her work on a, um, a safe 
workspace in which people can speak up and talk about uh, problems and bring those to light uh, is, is very, it's just impactful and just changes the way you look at things mm -hmm. um, at work. But um, establishing that kind of a workplace where, you know, where you have a high consequence environment in a place like the FBI or even a lot of the corporations now, you've got to establish that. Yes. So, and so I think that's key in, in having the regular meetings gives you the opportunity to establish that and then make sure everybody knows they have the right and you value what they have to say because yeah. you listen to them. Yeah, because one of the worst emails that you get is, I need to talk to you. Oh, it's terrible. It's, you know, defenses have already gone up and it may be, I want, I need to give you, I'm going to give you a war, an award, but it's like, it comes out of the blue. It's not that regular conversation. It comes out of the blue and that's for just about anyone. That's one of the worst emails that you can get. And, well, and we get them. Yes. <laughs> and we even all send in your best case, even the best case, you're going to get those every now and then, but yeah. you, you want them to be the exception. Yes. And, uh, and what I have found, and I've been a part of teams that were, that were really hard and those in the meetings were really quiet and nobody wanted to talk and everyone's looking at their watch those are terrible. Yep. If, if you've got that, that's an indicator. You got to change something. You got to yep. do something. And, but I've also, thank goodness, been a part of these great teams where everyone looked forward to the meeting and it was great. You didn't have to bring donuts or anything. That, that's not a requirement, but people just kind of enjoyed seeing each other mm -hmm. and talking. And there was some joking and um, there was planning of social things as well as talking about work events and, um, and there were a couple where, hey, I need to, can I talk to you after? Sure, no problem. Um, those are great teams. And what you realize is people are so much more motivated and happy, and they're going to be so much better at their jobs when they're on a team they like. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I think that's the burden of the leader. And if you're a leader of an organization and you don't have that, figure out how to do it. Do some research. Talk to a friend. Talk to your peers. Talk to your boss. Um, but you got to make the changes. People yep. will appreciate it. And it's just, uh, it's just awful if you, if you have to go to a work in a place where you just don't want to be each day. Yep. Yes. Well, our time is just about up. So is there any last thing you would like to say? Well, you know, the only thing I, I would just, uh, I would go back to um, one of the one of the things that uh, I, I really do uh, think is important as far as we talked about you know, recruiting and, and for diversity and for setting up those environments, just kind of going back up to the fact that it's not just enough to house, you really have to host. And yeah. uh, that's that's made the, the biggest difference for me uh, when I've been involved in that and um, and, and working on working uh, on working groups regarding uh, diversity and, and trying to trying to recruit and build up our teams. And then I also really enjoyed uh are you kind of bringing up that, that point about, uh, you know, with COVID and, and how we're dealing with these remote meetings and everything? It just reminded me of, of how much fun that was when we were able to get back together again in person. And when you have that kind of environment and that team environment, um, that makes being a leader worth it. And, and that's why studying to be a leader and studying that as a craft is so important because it's not just coming in and telling everybody what to do you really have a personal impact on their lives, on their families that you just don't realize until you get a chance to talk to them and get to know them. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for having me today. I appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. And if people want to get hold of you, how do they get a hold of you? So they can get a hold of me on LinkedIn, uh, Zachary Lowe. Also, uh, my website for, uh, for my company is 
graystone360.com. And uh, uh, also, I'm sure there'll be a, a link through the podcast. So I appreciate the time today. Yeah. Thank you, Zach. I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye.